Good morning, everyone. Uh, so if you don't know me well enough about this yet, uh, I like to be in control. <laughs> and that's a shock to many of you. I like to know what my schedule is. I like to know what has to be done each day. I like to have a plan. If, if there can't be a plan, I wanna plan out some thoughts about what might happen or plan who's gonna be in charge when we run out of plan. <laughs> Even when I seem to be easygoing, it's because I've already planned all the outcomes. So it brings me a lot of comfort to know that if I were to preach and be asked to preach on December 15, 2041, I know that it's gonna be the third Sunday of Advent in year B of the three-year lectionary, and it'll be the exact same readings that we heard this morning. That brings me great comfort. <laughs> because of this, you can imagine, I, I have some mixed feelings about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and yet here I am, right? So this morning, I'm gonna be preaching on the gifting of the Holy Spirit, and you know, the still-to-be-sanctified part of me would like the gifts of the Spirit to be the kinds of things that I can possess and quantify and control or at least predict, but as you all know, that's not how it works. As I was reading our lectionary passages for this morning, one little verse jumped out at me, right? Because at the end of 1 Thessalonians, Paul's giving this list, this sort of catch-all list that he often does at the end of his letters of all the things he wanted to remember to say. It's like your kid's walking out the door and you're saying, don't forget your lunch, be kind to others, remember to bring home your sweatshirt, etc., etc." And in verse 19, he says this, don't quench the spirit. Of all the things he had to remember to mention, this was one of them. And so reading between the lines, we might assume that Paul believes that the church in Thessalonica, that there's something that the Holy Spirit is up to. The Holy Spirit is doing something, wants to do something, and Paul wants to make sure that the believers there don't resist what the Spirit might be doing in their midst. Now, it's easy, of course, to take something like that and just say, we can, we can do whatever we want and be like, the Spirit's leading me to do it. I want to not quench the Spirit, right? We've probably seen people like that who seem to do whatever they want to do and then afterwards say, well, the Spirit made me do it. Um, we know that, right? So I want to spend a little bit of time unpacking what Paul teaches elsewhere about the things that the Spirit does. And so we have to take a little detour from this morning's passages and go to 1 Corinthians 12, which is where we get Paul's list of the gifts of the Spirit. And we're going to be there for a little moment. So if you want to grab a Bible and open it up to 1 Corinthians 12, that can be helpful. If you get bored of me, you can just meander and read that passage anyways. So Paul is teaching the Corinthians in, in chapter 12 about the Spirit. And here's the, the list of the gifts that Paul mentions in verses 8 to 10. So he says, to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. Another, prophecy. Another, discernment of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit, who allots to each one individually, just as, as the Spirit chooses. Now, if you read the whole chapter, you can see that some of what Paul, what is prompting Paul to talk about this, Spiritual gifts is that illustration after illustration, he's showing, hey, there's this wide diversity. Look at all these options. Look at all the ways that the Spirit empowers from the things that look more, quote unquote, charismatic, prophecy, miracles, tongues, to ones that we, we sort of treat like they're more ordinary, like discernment or knowledge. 
But Paul is saying, look at this wide variety, but there is no hierarchy of importance. There are lots of gifts, but there's one body. Everybody gets something a little different, but it's the same spirit who does all of it, which makes all of it important, all of it crucial. That's the point that Paul is trying to drive home. He's saying, look, you've all got very different gifts, but you need to remember there's not a sort of hierarchy of importance here. God, by the power of the Spirit, enables it all. But this is not the only stuff that the Spirit does. Because a few verses later, he'll give a similar list, but he has some differences already. Already he can't make up his mind about it, right? So he adds in things like leadership and assistance. And in a whole other letter, he's going to list the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know the list. And if we were to look through the whole New Testament and see what is the Spirit doing, we'd see that it's a pretty big list. The Spirit can do all kinds of things. Now, again, that doesn't mean that everything is a gift of the Spirit. But when we look at the gifts of the Spirit, he's not trying to list out options like a menu. He's not like... These are your eight things, pick one, that's all I'm going to do. What he's doing is he's helping the Corinthians appreciate the diversity of ways the Spirit is active in the life of the church. He's trying to say, look at the Spirit in your midst. If I were to try and sum it up, I'd say that according to Paul, the gifting of the Holy Spirit is God at work within you to empower you and to call you into service of the church and the world. It's God at work within you to call and empower you into service of the church and the world. And that service part, that second part, is critical. God hasn't poured out his spirit on all flesh so that we can have really cool experiences. Oh, it's nice to have really cool experiences, right? He doesn't pour out his spirit for you to possess it. In fact, Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. You are given gifts of the Spirit for others. It's so important for us to resist the spirit of the age in which we think of ourselves first and foremost as individuals, where we start from the belief that we don't owe each other or our neighbor anything and we're only responsible for ourselves, that we're a bunch of little atoms in our own little place, atom, A-T-O-M, atoms, sort of wandering around. And sometimes we bump into other people, but largely... It's just me and myself. Contrary to that, the Bible tells us that we are members of a body, that we belong to each other. And of course, Paul says, we each receive a manifestation of the Spirit as an individual, right? And as our own individual part of the body, the eyes, not an ear, ears, not a foot, etc. But ultimately, the Spirit is not poured out for you to have closeness with God, but for you to have closeness with God that becomes a source of renewal of goodness for your neighbor. It's why I actually balk a little bit at the word gift. I mean, I'm already, you know, defying Dan. He told me to preach on the gifting, and I'm like, I don't know if I like that word. Because gift, it's okay to laugh at that. We have a good relationship. Uh, a gift is something that I get for Christmas, for me, right? I open all my gifts, and then they sit in a little pile, distinguished from my brother's gifts. Don't let them overlap. These are mine. Keep your hands, your grubby hands, to your gifts, right? That's what I think, of, maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm, I'm a little bit transparent here. We should note that gift is not the only word Paul uses here. He doesn't just say gift. He says gift, but then he says there's different workings of the Spirit, different manifestations of the Spirit. 
open our mind to other metaphors because then that allows us to understand the full picture that Paul's trying to paint here. It's not about a thing you get. It's about a way the spirit moves within you. Now, talking all about the goodness of others and talking all about the gift is for other people, you can go too far the other way and burn the candle at both ends, right? Sometimes when we talk about God gave you something to bless others, what we hear is, oh, I need to work really hard to earn God's favor. God's going to be really upset with me if I don't work doubly hard. I don't get anything out of this. <laughs> but it's a both and. It's a both and. God blesses you, and the blessing is real, and the blessing is meant to flow overboard. Um, there's a delightful poem I, I heard my grandpa recite at uh, he and my grandma's 50th and 60th anniversary. I was trying to remember which event, but I think he, I think he read it at both. Um, and the sort of the, the refrain was, I'm drinking from my saucer because my cup is overflowing. And he's talking about all the blessings of his life, right? That's the picture of the gifting of the Holy Spirit is God pours in us and then it overflows and we give to others. I heard it once in this really vivid illustration from a man named Dan Spader. So he was, he's this like seasoned veteran of visiting Israel. He's gone like two dozen times. He leads tours. And he pointed out, he said, there's two bodies of water on either side of the Jordan River. One is the Sea of Galilee. It's got a river flowing out of it. And it's teeming with life and vitality. There's another body of water. We call it the Dead Sea. It only has water pouring in. There's no life there. The point is this. To be healthy, we need both input and output. We need to be receiving from God and giving to others. That's a healthy spiritual life. It's not just sitting there saying, God, I just need more for me. But it's saying, God, how can I be blessed to bless others? Ruth Haley Barton, who's a woman who writes all about spiritual formation, says it like this. The only thing we have to offer others is our own transforming selves. So maybe, maybe you're on the side that you're spending all your day pouring into others and you need to receive from the Spirit. You need to receive a few of the gifts yourself. That's okay. But maybe, maybe you're like me and you spend a lot of time thinking about your own devotional practices, but you need to look outside and say, how is God pouring into me to bless others? Now, sometimes transformation happens in ways. Sometimes the gifts show up in ways that are incredible to onlookers. The way that we bless others is like, I'm just knocked on my back and I'm a totally different person. Sometimes it happens a little bit more under the surface, right? Sometimes it's a little bit slower, but that's no less miraculous. Having peace and self-control will not amaze a crowd, but what a difference those make when we interact with others. Think of someone you think is truly godly. Think of the kind of people you look up to. They are probably the kind of people that can enter into a difficult situation and they are rock solid. I think about the kind of Christians that I wanna be when I grow up one day, one day when I get to grow up. <laughs> I increasingly get to say that less and less. Um, but I think of them and I think about the ways in which they can enter difficult circumstances and bring the peace of God with them. That when they say peace be with you, they're saying it from a deep reservoir of peace that's in them and it emanates out to those around them. It shows up. It's God's presence, but it is blessing others because they are so filled with the spirit that they, that they are peaceful, that they are not shaken. Um, when I was going through a really difficult season in life, there are certain trite phrases that people might bring up about, you know, God will get you through this, that kind of stuff. And when you hear that from someone in their 20s or 30s, you're like, yeah, thanks, that's probably true, but I'm not sure. When you hear that from someone 
who's in their 60s or 70s or 80s and they say it, they've earned the right to say those phrases. <laughs> they've earned the right because they've seen some things. And they've leaned on God in those moments. And they've come through the other side and seen God to be faithful. So as much as for my peers, I appreciate the encouragement. I don't, I don't want to hear it from you. I want to hear it from, <laughs> from the retired clergy. I want to hear the people who have been through it, who have seen it, and they've known God's goodness. That's a gift of the spirit, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. James writes about this incredible maturity for people who can tame their tongues. That if you have that down, if you can tame your tongue, you can control your whole person. Maybe we need to stop here, and that's a gift we all need to pray for this morning. <laughs> Sometimes I need that gift. But that's a gift of the spirit. When you are able to control your words to speak, not just write content, but to say it in a way that blesses others, that is a gift of the Spirit. And if we look at a gift that the world needs poured out from the church outside, it's people who can use their words to bless others, who can go into contentious situations and bless their enemies. That, that would be a manifestation of the Spirit that would change some minds and change some hearts. Because I think when we want to learn about gifts of the Spirit, we can't miss the chapters that come after 1 Corinthians 12, right? Because Paul talks about this huge diversity of gifts, and then he immediately gets to regulating them. He's like, all right, there are all these gifts, and there's miracles, and there's prophecy. But if you don't have love, he says in chapter 13, that's all a waste of time. And then in chapter 14, he's like, all right, there are these tongues things, and they're incredible. But, but he starts making rules about that. He says, okay, make sure there's someone to interpret, choose when you do that. He gets pretty particular about the gift of speaking in tongues. Why? Because he says, this is not just a thing for its own sake. This is a thing to bless the church. This is a thing. God doesn't give gifts just because. He gives gifts because he loves us and he wants to bless us and he wants us to be a blessing to others. The spirit at work can be surprising and it can be awe-inspiring, but the gift itself isn't the point. I think sometimes we get to, we can be tempted to treat the Holy Spirit like a collector's item, right? Like people who collect toys but then leave it in the box on their shelves and like kids don't understand why they can't play with the toys. Don't play with it. It's got to be mint condition in the box. Look at the things, back to our readings today, look at the things that Paul tells the Thessalonians to do in that catch-all list. He says, Admonish the idlers, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient. See that none of you repays evil for evil. Always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise the words of prophets. Hold fast to what is good. When I see this list and you kind of look at it as a whole, I see the connections between them. I see the connections between encouraging idlers and faint-hearted and, and not despising the words of prophets and praying without ceasing and giving thanks and not quenching the spirit. I think this list, lists like these, this is how we participate with the work of God and the power of the spirit. This is what the manifestation of the spirit looks like. Being in the business of the church, doing kingdom things, stepping out in faith and letting the spirit empower us to do it. I think sometimes when we look at the spiritual gifts inventories, we get tripped up trying to identify and categorize everything, thinking, okay, I got to first figure out what my, what my tools are in my tool belt, and then I know those are the only tools I can use. <laughs> but discerning how God has 
empowered you and wants to empower you is not like a career aptitude test where you're like, I answered these questions and now I'm gonna be an electrician. <laughs> Instead, it looks more like a matter of prayer and reflection, talking to others that you know. Frederick Buechner has this famous quote where he said, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. He calls you to a place where your gladness and the world's hunger meet. The only way you can figure that out is by going out and figuring out what makes you glad and figuring out where the world is hungry. You can't discern that only in your prayer closet. I'm not discouraging you from spending time on your knees in prayer and asking God to show you things. Please do that. But let that be the first step. Sam Storm says it like this. If we spend less time searching to identify our spiritual gifts and more time actually praying and giving and helping and teaching and serving and exhorting those around us, the likelihood greatly increases that we will walk headlong into our gifting without ever knowing what happened. So look for a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. Be alert to the cry for help and answer it. Listen for the voice of God and speak it. Look for what's missing and supply it. When you do, the power of God, the energizing, enabling, charismatic activity of the Holy Spirit will equip you, perhaps only once, but possibly forever, to minister hope and encouragement to those in need. So if you're wondering what your gifts might be, act first and ask later. <laughs> now, I, I think to some of us, this sort of just go out and do good seems sort of like do-gooderism. It looks too natural. But truth be told, while I'm listing words I don't like, I don't really like the word supernatural either. Let me explain. See, what it suggests is that we live in this material world where everything obeys natural rhythms and behaviors. And that sometimes, if we're lucky, God breaks through the box to break the rules. But it suggests that our normal life is the rules and God sometimes breaks them. But God isn't outside the box wanting to poke in. We use the metaphor of inviting the spirit into a place, but we can't go anywhere where God isn't already at work. God isn't just real, he's the source of reality. Paul quotes a poet saying, in him we live and move and have our being. So the spirit isn't just a distant thing that we sometimes invite to come in. The spirit is within us, going ahead of us and working within us. We participate with the spirit who is a someone whose power can do infinitely more than we ask or imagine. I think that shift is important because instead of saying, we live in an ordinary world and the Spirit's gonna give us this special gift that we channel through, we say, God is everywhere. Our world is enchanted. Our world is porous. God is present, the Spirit is present, and we are going out and as much as we're bringing the Spirit with us, we're discovering what God is already doing. This is good news, but you might say, this all sounds well and good, but I've tried it. It's easy to, it's easy to say this from a pulpit, right? Preaching is easy. <laughs> Loving your neighbor's hard. <laughs> Loving your family is hard. Being kind to yourself, receiving from God, repenting, being peaceful and joyful in difficult circumstances, that's hard. So maybe I can say these words and for a moment you feel like, that's great. And then you go out to your real life and you feel like, that's not what my life is like. Maybe when you get dismissed after the service to go out in the power of the spirit, or as Deacon Beverly always encourages us, remembering to whom we belong, the outside world or even our inside world feels pretty spirit-less. It feels very natural. The work feels like trying to roller skate up a hill. 
So let me offer some encouragement from our passages this morning to help us see the end, to see the goal that we're aiming for. After all, that's what Advent is all about, recognizing that we still live in a world that bites and claws and decays, but if we're farsighted, we might see better things. The manner in which we go out and try to use the gifts of the Spirit is aimed at something. It's pointed towards the kind of future that we all look forward to, that we all say is coming, especially in Advent. So look again at the picture that Isaiah painted for us, right? I'm creating a new heaven and earth, God says. Rejoice and be glad forever. I will create Jerusalem as a place of happiness. Her people will be a source of joy. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. No longer will babies die when they're only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they've lived a full life. In those days, people will live in the houses that they build and eat the fruit of their own vineyards. Unlike the past, invaders will not take their houses and confiscate their vineyards. My people will live as long as trees, and my chosen ones will have time to enjoy their hard-won gains. They will not labor in vain. Their children will not be doomed to misfortune, for they are people blessed by the Lord. I will answer them before they even call to me. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. In those days, no one will hurt or be destroyed on my holy mountain. This is the picture that we look forward to. This is the thing that God has promised us, that war, that conflict, these things will cease. And so the gifts of the Holy Spirit empower us to live with faith and hope, fixing our eyes on that reality, living as if that were in fact true, as if, as if the whole creation is headed for that end, and we can live knowing that that's coming, trusting that when the world still groans and aches in pains of childbirth, as Paul says, there is something on the other side. And so exercising our gifts, participating with the Spirit is hard work, and it can feel like tilling ground that's not going to bear any fruit. But while Paul says the gifts themselves will go away, at some point we're not going to need prophecy and tongues. Love never goes away. And so the gifts that we exercise in love are seeds planted for the new creation. They are never wasted. In Surprised by Hope, a book I highly recommend to any and all, N.T. Wright says this, he says, every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk, every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world, all of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. That is the logic of the mission of God. God's recreation of his wonderful world, which began with the resurrection of Jesus and continues mysteriously as God's people live in the risen Christ and the power of his spirit. It means that what we do in Christ and by the Spirit in the present is not wasted. It will last all the way into God's new world. In fact, it will be enhanced there. This is the beautiful picture that when you exercise those gifts, when you love your neighbor, that is a thing that is planted for a new creation. When we read language about like 
the old things will pass away. When we live into the new creation, that's not old. That's part of the new. <laughs> that's not what gets erased. The love you show to your neighbor, the hungry person that you feed, this is all part of God's new restoration work. And so when you do it, and when you do it and it feels like it's not doing anything, when you are kind and someone does not reciprocate, when you go out to bless someone and you receive cursing, it feels like you just sowed seed on the path. But what the resurrection of Jesus tells us and what the coming of Jesus tells us is that it felt like I sowed seed on the path, but actually it's just ground and it's going to take a little while to grow. Every single bit of love poured into the world in the power of the Spirit is an act of defiance towards the power of death and hell. Every time we choose to love neighbor, every time we choose to love others, every time we show up in a church full of people that we like to varying degrees, but every time we say, I'm a part of a body, and I belong to someone else, and I am not my own, is a way of shaking our fist at the powers and principalities that say, no, you are your own, you need to do everything for yourself. And we say, no, there's a different world coming. It's a confident assertion that a day is coming when all sad things will come untrue. And it takes grace for us to live that way. So this morning, we're going to spend time praying for the gifting of the Spirit. And I pray, let's not quench the Spirit. Sometimes the Spirit of God shows up in ways that are demonstrations of power that we couldn't expect. And that's great. <laughs> the Andrew who likes control doesn't always feel comfortable with that, but that's, that's part of me that needs to be burned away. That part will be gone one day too. But pray for God to do much more than just have a moment this morning. Pray for God to give you gifts to send you out with the fruit of the Spirit, with the gifts of the Spirit, with the Spirit's presence to do the work that God has called us to do. Pray for God to increase in you those things that are of his kingdom so that you can go out in an even more fully abundant life than you asked or imagined, than you can, you can even think that you could do. Maybe there is a relationship that you feel like, I don't have the energy to pour in anymore, and God says, I do. I love that person more than you do, and so I will, I will love them for you. I have many times prayed, <laughs> prayed to God saying, God, I don't love this person, but you do. And so I need to, I need to borrow some of your grace and your love. And I need you to, to, to give it to them through me because I can't do it. And man, is he faithful to show up in those prayers. <laughs> maybe there's a place in your home, in your neighborhood, where you see brokenness and you're like, I don't know what to do. And maybe what God's saying is plant one seed. I'm going to empower you to love one person in one place at one time. You don't have to bring Jesus back. He's going to show up on his own. What you need to do is love your neighbor. I, I think our psalm here is a good way to close. It's a, it's a picture, again, of, of what God wants to do and the hope that we have. So I'm going to read it for us. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing sheaves with them. May it be even now. Amen.